Digital Marketing Radio, episode 102. Are keywords dying in search engine advertising? DigitalMarketingRadio.com I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, weekly interviews with digital marketing experts. Find out about everything we do at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The big interview with David Bain Today I'm joined by David Rodninsky. David, welcome to DMR. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. Well, um, David's been in the um, digital marketing industry for, for quite a while. And um, I had a look um, back in October 2014. He wrote an article called Preparing for a Keywordless SEM World. And that really piqued my interest. So um, on the face of it, you know, that seems like an incredible thing to say. But of course, Google's advertising opportunities extend now much more um, than just pay-per-click ads besides search engine results. Um, so, but David, I mean, what, what made you say Google are actually killing keywords? Yeah, so I've, um, I've been in search engine marketing since about 2000, um, which actually is longer than Google, uh, amazingly. Um, and um, in the early days of search engine marketing, the, the keyword was king. Uh, you know, the, the goal was really who can buy, the, whoever buys the most keywords wins. So I remember you know, more than 10 years ago, I was working for a company that did uh, mortgage um, mortgage uh, fulfillment online. And I would go to the U.S. Census Bureau and I would get a list of every city in the United States. At that time, there were approximately 21,000 cities. Um, and I would just append to that words like refinance, mortgage, mortgage rates, home loan, and upload those in mass. And I was uploading 100,000 keywords a day. Mm -hmm. And um, because I was the only one who had come up with some strange combination of um, a city, a small city in in a rural America, and the word home loans, I was showing up and I was getting that click for for pennies. Um, And if you think about that experience, um, from Google's perspective, that is not... um, a good way for them to monetize their search results because if I'm the only one who came up with this obscure term, um, they're getting no competitive competitive bidding. So imagine what would happen is if instead of me being the only person to buy that keyword, Google was able to match other people to that keyword, um, and that's really what Google's been doing over the last, in my my opinion, at least five years, and that's where we're going from um, the the currency of of search engine marketing being keywords to being something else. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, in the case I just mentioned, instead of uh, me being the only one on that term now, Google is starting to infer the location that a searcher is is in. So mm-hmm. even if I bought the word New York City mortgage rate and someone else bought the word mortgage rate, if the user is in New York City, they're going to get shown on that, that ad. Um, similarly, Google has um, started to... Um, do something called, um, I think, I believe it's called close match variant, um, which means that even if I didn't buy the word mortgage rates spelled wrong and I bought it on exact match, Google will start showing my ad on that, um, on that term. Mm. Um, similarly, Google now has something called PLAs, product listing ads, which are no longer keyword based at all, but are based on um, a feed that a user, uh, that an advertiser uploads. So if I'm selling a Nikon camera, um, I no longer have to decide if I'm going to buy the word Nikon camera, best Nikon camera, green Nikon camera. I simply upload my feed to Google, and Google, in their best, um, with their best analysis, will show me on the keywords that they think are most appropriate. 
they have something else called um, uh, dynamic search ads, which have which in which the advertiser doesn't even um, choose um, keywords at all. They simply enter the URL, and Google determines the appropriate ad text and the appropriate places for the advertiser to show up. I've got numerous other examples where this is happening, but at the end of the day, what Google's doing um, is they're saying they're changing from a, a world where it used to be we want the advertiser to find the right keywords and and we assume that advertisers are smart and they'll figure out the right keywords to don't worry about the keywords don't worry about where you're showing up just give us your feed or give us your url let us figure out what the best place is for you now in some cases for advertisers who maybe are not as savvy um, and are just getting into the the online marketing game this is a is a great boon for them because mm -hmm. It's complicated. This is complicated stuff. And if you just let Google do it for you, they can get you a lot of traffic very quickly. For advertisers who are more advanced, who like to just have control, um, Google has taken away some functionality and they've made the auctions more competitive. So, you know, I don't want to have that ability to buy that word, let's say, um, you know, Greenwich, Greenwich um, small business loan. Um, now, anyone who's selling small businesses loans within 50 miles of Greenwich is going to get matched automatically. Mm. So that's what I mean. I mean, we're getting to a point now where the keyword is no longer the most relevant thing. The most relevant thing is, frankly, your your landing page and how you bid and um, the various targeting functionality that you can apply on top of um, your advertising campaign. I mean, that's good, obviously for Google. Um, Google will probably make more money from that. Um, Google will argue that it's good for the user and that um, it's delivering more results for them. And they'll also argue that it's good for the advertiser because um, it's easier to use their system. But um, as you alluded to, um, if an ad advertiser f signs up and they don't really know what they're doing, and perhaps they've got limited budget, then maybe quickly they can find themselves spending a lot of money. Um, so is, is that not a bit of an issue and something that businesses have to be concerned about? I think it's something that, that, they sh that people have to be concerned about for sure. I think, um, I, fe I feel like Google is, is torn um, between servicing small businesses and servicing experienced large advertisers. And they are constantly coming up with products that work for one and probably don't work for the other. Mm. Um, they certainly have a vested interest in making sure that small businesses don't get completely blown out of the water um, with horrible, horrible results. Because obviously, if you trust Google and Google does a terrible job for you, you're never coming back again. Um, that said, um, when you give up control to Google or to anyone else for that matter, um, you're probably giving up some efficiency as well. So uh, that small business, uh, you know, I guess I could say I'm, I'm, I'm biased in this sense, but that small business would probably be better off working with a, an agency or an expert um, and paying a little bit extra to have that agency do the work for them. Um, you know, as Google takes away some of the tools that experts can use um, to, to get it, an advantage over their automation, um, that opportunity um, goes away for those small businesses. So, you know, we're starting to come to a world where um, the, the, the reasons, the incentives to go with an expert are becoming less and less as Google automates and as Google takes away some of the functionality.
Yeah, no, I mean, I certainly agree with you there as well. And that, um, you know, why would you actually go to someone for advice um, if that's the person that you're spending money with? It, 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 it doesn't seem logical, really. So um, going to a third it's party. Like, the, yeah. Right, it's having the fox uh, guard the hen house, right? <laughs> exactly, yes. I was, I, was, I was thinking of a wolf, but <laughs> I guess same. Yeah, wolf would be appropriate too. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, another then train of thought is if, if so many businesses are actually deciding to advertise with Google, does that mean not that um, there are perhaps other opportunities that could be more financially beneficial out there rather than actually go- using the Google network at the moment? I think that's 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 potentially true. I mean, I think... One thing you can say for sure about the Google network is that it's a very efficient network uh, in the sense that um, the price that you're paying for, for, click, for a click is, is the result of a marketplace of most of the available advertisers who would be interested in that click. So the opportunity to arbitrage Google today is pretty much gone. Hmm. Um, again, 10 years ago, there were opportunities to buy keywords that a lot of people hadn't yet discovered and you would get them for 5% of the actual value. Today, the value is 99%. And I often tell people that um, you know, really to be successful in Google, uh, there's a variety of, of non-search engine marketing related tests that you have to go through before you decide to advertise. And those would be things like, um, does, do you have um, a great competitive uh, website? Do you, have a, do you have competitive economics to your, to your competitors? Do you have um, an offer that's as good as your competitors? Is your landing page as good as your competitors? And if all those things aren't true, because it's an efficient market, you're probably going to lose money. Now, to answer your question about are there opportunities outside Google, absolutely. Um, the, the biggest opportunity right now is Facebook advertising. Facebook has done a phenomenal job of um, creating ad products that really drive great ROI for, um, for companies. And um, in many cases, Facebook presents a better um, opportunity than Google, um, not only because it's not quite as efficient, but because the nature of the of why people search on Google makes it that if you're selling a new mousetrap, no one's ever going to search for your product. And the only way to sell it is to go to something like Facebook or like a display um, network, something of, of that nature. Um, so I'm very bullish on Facebook, although it is becoming more expensive um, every day. Um, other networks, um, there is um, a whole uh, concept of uh, retargeting, which mm-hmm. um, Google does offer, but there are companies like AdRoll that offer retargeting outside of Google's network. Um, and I think that um, the other area that I'm interested in is native advertising. Right. Companies like Outbrain and Taboola and Yahoo Gemini that are starting to offer content ad- content marketing opportunities um, that are very uh cheap on a cost per click basis and for the right type of client can drive very meaningful ROI. Okay. And um, is it any more challenging to actually measure the effectiveness of those native advertising opportunities or you're only talking about text clicks there? It's, it is more challenging to measure effectiveness, um, especially because in the world of native advertising, um, the, the rule, the rule is that you have to um, uh, have two clicks before you get to a commercial page. So mm-hmm. unlike paid search where I can have an ad and I can immediately send them to a page that says buy now, native advertising has to go to a page that seems as more of an advertorial without a strong call to action. And there can be links from that site to your um, your eventual purchase page. So that makes it a little harder. 
Um, and, and sometimes you have to take a little bit of a leap of faith that you're driving awareness that's driving a sale and not just um, threat purchases. That said, um, the native advertising platforms have been coming out with pixels and with um, reporting interfaces that will enable you to actually see the ROI directly from your campaigns. And there are advertisers, um, generally speaking, in broad consumer um, channels like finance, um, uh, consumer finance, that are seeing direct ROI from native advertising campaigns. Okay, um, so I mean, obviously you're providing paid advertising services at 3Q Digital. Um, do you think that in the future agencies will be even more important to actually help to manage the, uh, those services on a client's behalf? Or can you see more and more of that management being done in-house in the future? Well, I'm biased, obviously. So, um, you know, I'm just, I, I, I hope that there's a there's a, a place for agencies in the future. Uh, the way that I think about it actually is um, what we're seeing in online marketing is a is severe fragmentation. Today we have Google, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, video, mobile, tablets, Internet of Things. Who knows what else is coming? And my argument is that there are very few in-house agencies or in-house teams that can handle all of those. So you may decide that as an in-house team, you can hire up people to do paid search and you hire two or three people to do paid search and you tell your agency, I don't need an agency anymore. But then what are you gonna do about Facebook? What are you gonna do about Twitter, about YouTube, about Pinterest, about you know whatever the next thing that comes along? So I think that the role of agencies in the future is going to be um, to, to be some to be a helper to in-house teams. Okay, um, so um, th that's sensible that um, if um, there are so many different advertising opportunities out there and that's only increasing that you get an agency to actually handle that on your behalf if you can afford it. Um, but what about um, a, a different form of, of marketing, um, content marketing? Um, would you say that um, content in general ideally should be done in-house because people who are writing that content maybe know of the brand, of the products, of the service themselves? Or is that something that can be outsourced to an agency as well? It's always challenging to outsource your voice as a company. So you have to be very careful about about doing that. I mean, I know there was a, a famous case of, uh, I believe it was Chrysler that outsourced its Twitter feed to an agency and the, uh, the, the agency, someone on the agency, for some reason, posted in Chrysler's name, people in Detroit are horrible drivers. And I think they used it. It wasn't the word horrible that they used. And, uh, and obviously, that's not a good uh, representation of the voice of, uh, of, um, of Chrysler. So I think that um, it, I, I would say it'd be very challenging to say 100% outsource your content marketing to an agency. That said, Content marketing is um, part art and part science. So deciding what types of articles to write for maximum impact from an SEO perspective, um, deciding how to um, optimize those pages, um, both in terms of the, the content itself and also the, the technical um, optimization, um, deciding what partners to work with um, if you want to do content marketing on native platforms, et cetera. That's all stuff that you could try to do in-house, but again, going back to my general theory that you can't do everything in-house, that's something that would be perfectly legitimate to work with a, a third party to, to help with. Okay. And um, now thinking about um, what's going to happen over the next 12 months or so, um, obviously you've mentioned that more recently Facebook have, have perhaps come become a little bit more expensive. Um, Google are 
possibly even more expensive than that, uh, depending on what market you're in and um, um, how many competitors you have. Um, what other opportunities do you think are there likely to be over the coming 12 months? Well, I think there's still an opportunity in mobile writ large. So, um, uh, you know, Google and Facebook are the lion's share of mobile traffic right now, um, especially if you're looking at mobile app installs. Um, you know, most people would say that 50 to 60 percent of the mobile app install um, ecosystem is going to be driven by Facebook. Right. Um, that said, there's still a lot of fragmentation in mobile. There are plenty of um, mobile networks, whether it's an InMobi or Millennial or TapAd, something like that, that are still sourcing uh, traffic um, at a very low price, bundling it and then selling it to advertisers. So um, given that more than 50% of, of actual time spent on um, internet devices is now mobile, um, but, but from a percentage of spend for advertisers, the actual spend on mobile is probably, I think it's 25%, 20%. There's obviously an arbitrage opportunity there. Um, so, so for the next 12 months, if you have a mobile optimized site um, or if you have an app, um, being able to get either installs or mobile traffic at well below what that traffic is actually worth is a huge opportunity. Um, you know, beyond that, I think um, there are still some opportunities to optimize on um, Google Display Network. And I think that um, there are still some opportunities to make um, portions of Facebook work at, uh, at an efficient price. We haven't really talked about Twitter. Twitter is still figuring things out um, in terms of their ad platform. Um, I think that there will come a point in time when they figure out the right ad unit that actually works really well, not just for brands, but for direct response companies. And when that ad unit comes out, which I wouldn't be surprised if it came out in the next 12 months, um, there's going to be an opportunity there to invest in and harvest a lot of volume at a very affordable price. Mm. I was actually on um, my Twitter app on my iPhone um, just a few days ago, and I remember seeing um, their click to install an app advert. Um, so you had a couple of tweets, and then below that you had your click click to install app, and then you could you could crawl through different other apps to actually install. And it, mm -hmm. it seemed quite a nice experience. I wasn't upset that it was an advert that was um, taking me away from my uh, tweet reading experience. So um, it's 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 a tough one advertising, I guess, on mobile um, if you have a brand um, that actually. Um, people want to advertise on because you, you don't want to actually take away from that user experience. And obviously the screen is only a certain size. Yeah, it's challenging. I mean, I think the, uh, no, I don't think anyone has figured out the, uh, the perfect solution to, um, to how to represent your brand on mobile. I think that the, um, you know, people are get, people are starting to come around to the notion that, um, first of all, the, the definition of success on mobile is not the same as the definition of success on desktop. So, getting someone to just buy something right away from seeing a mobile ad is, is unlikely to happen. Um, but we know that um, from our own experience uh, as users, but also from um, the data, uh, people are spending a lot of time on their mobile phones. And if you can create an experience that is mobile friendly, that talks about your brand, um, uh, and then preferably if you can um, start to set up a cross device tracking to see if that person ends up visiting um, uh, your site from a desktop the next day, or even comes into your, your retail location, you, you can start to see how um, your, your brand um, can, can be won or lost um, on mobile. So 
another way to look at it is if you are not doing, if you're not building out a great brand experience on mobile, um, you know, you're reducing consumers' confidence that you're a forward-thinking company. So we're getting to the point where, just as in like 2002, if you remember way back when, when you went to some big brand's website and it was horrible, you started to wonder, do I really believe in this company if, if their website, you know, doesn't even load? Hmm. Um, that's where we're at with mobile. So, uh, you know, I would say like there's two parts to the equation. One is, you know, track everything properly and you will start to see effectiveness. And the second is it's table stakes now. It's not a matter of, well, I don't really, the, the traffic hasn't really converted for me, so I'm not going to invest in my mobile experience. If you don't do that, you're, you're really sending the wrong message to potential customers. One thing that you mentioned there was cross-device tracking. So I'd just like to explore into that a little bit more with you. Um, is there any particular tracking solution that you recommend in order to, to try and achieve that successfully? You know, there are a ton of third-party companies right now that are trying to solve that. Um, and uh, the conclusion that I'm coming to is um, you sort of have two choices. Uh, one is you can stitch together some of these um, third parties. And so um, there are some attribution companies like um, Convertro, which is a company that we use, recently acquired by AOL, that do a pretty good job of um, uh, what's called probabilistic um, attribution, which is um, looking at the cookies on your device and on your um, desktop, matching them and saying, oh, this is the same person. Um, and there's a variety of those companies that that are working there. But but I, I actually think what's going to end up happening is the cross-device challenge is going to be solved by um, Google, Facebook, one of the two, or both of them. So Google and Facebook um, have what would be known as deterministic tracking, which is that you're logged in to your Gmail account on, on your mobile device, and then you go back to your um, desktop, and you're also logged into your Gmail account, and they can match them with 100% certainty. And I think we're going to end up in a world where, as an advertiser, you're going to choose a tech stack, and that could be Atlas by um, Facebook and what they're building there, or it could be the um, Google Analytics um, platform and, and the DoubleClick platform. And you're going to be able to look at um, cross-device, uh, mainly from a deterministic perspective, based on either Google or Facebook data. And um, you know, like I said, right now there's a there's a slew of companies that are offering third-party um, solutions, um, and we're exploring a, a bunch of them. But I, at the end of the day, this is unfortunately for those companies like Google or Facebook are, is going to be uh, coming out on top. Mm. It's an interesting situation. I mean, I, I think the, the the two big areas there are cross device tracking, and also you touched on attribution as well. And um, you know, I, I come from an SEO background, and um, for, for an SEO for a business who's actually focusing on generic keyword phrases rather than actually uh, brand keyword phrases to bring in traffic, um, mostly that type of traffic finds out about the business fairly early stages and are unlikely to make a purchase immediately so um, it's likely to be three or four clicks or visits um, away from actually making a purchase so to define the value of that SEO visitor um, is, is very tricky when the majority of advertising tracking or traffic value tracking is, is done through last click. Absolutely and um, someone actually literally asked me this yesterday they said well do you recommend last click? And I said, well, no. <laughs> I said, but well, then what do you recommend? And I said, well, that's not as easy an answer. I mean, I think what we can say with certainty is that if you, if all you're doing is last click attribution, you are um, 
missing a lot of traffic sources or not giving proper credit to a lot of traffic sources. And David, your example is a perfect example of that. I, I often tell people like, if someone searched for your brand term, let's say it's uh, digital marketing radio, maybe something that's maybe not, maybe something, let's say, let's call it um, Coca-Cola, something that's not a, a, a standard English term. Someone types in Coca-Cola into Google and then they go and buy a, a, a six pack of Coca-Cola. Well, they had to have figured, found out about the word Coca-Cola from somewhere. They didn't just randomly decide in their head, I wonder if there's a company called Coca-Cola that sells soda. I'm just going to type that in. And that's what you're doing if you're giving last click all the credit. You're you're assuming that this is the only way that they found about, out about your company. They just magically typed in your name or they, you know, et cetera. And now that may, that may, and there may be instances in non-brand keywords or um, that where that is the case. But, um, you know, what we, what we know and what's very intuitive, if you think about it, is there are a lot of, um, frequently there are a lot of decision points that come before someone makes a purchase. And that can be, starting with generic keywords and getting more granular, seeing an ad on Facebook, watching a TV commercial, et cetera. And the, the challenge is now that we know that last click is not the best solution, what is the best solution? And there's a variety of attribution companies out there. Um, a lot of them will do what they call a custom regression analysis when you sign up with them, which is they'll actually look at your traffic and they'll say, well, we've looked at all your traffic patterns and it turns out that you know, these, these um, touch points are very influential. And these touch points, it doesn't matter if they come there or not, they're still going to convert. And so what ends up happening is someone, the people will generally create a model that they think is best for your business. And, you know, I think that the the key thing is to not to let the perfect get in the way of the good. Mm-hmm. Um, um, having some sort of multi-touch model is better than having a last click model, but it's not going to be perfect. You're never going to have 100% certainty. And unfortunately, um, um, another article that I wrote uh, not long after that article you read was uh, titled Mo Data, Mo Problems. And... Um, and that's kind of the nature of our our world today, which is um, it was really easy when we all we had to do was think about last click. And now we have to go to our VPs or to our CEOs and start to argue with them as to whether the, we have the right attribution model. We didn't have to deal with that in the past, but it's 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 kind of a good thing that at least that we're talking about it. Yes. Yeah. At least um, the majority of progressive CEOs accept that um, last click is possibly not the right way to do things. And that's um, more evolved than things were a few years ago. Absolutely. I think that's right. Well, um, I'm sure we can uh, carry on topping, uh, talking about these kind of subjects for, for a long time, but let's uh, move on over to the, the, the second section of our discussion. So that focuses more on your thoughts on where digital marketing in general has been and where it's heading. So starting off with software I couldn't live without. So what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Well, I'll start with Excel because I just love Excel, but um you know, let's not let's not forget Excel because it is so um, so amazing. Um, not Google Sheets yet. What's that? Google Sheets? No. no. Not Google Sheets yet. No. 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 no <laughs> it's not. That's. I'm not ready for that. Um, software I couldn't live at without. Um, it's a good question. I would say, um, you know, anything in the analytics realm is the stuff that I find most fascinating. So, frankly, I like Google Analytics quite a lot. Um, I. Um, I like Omniture as well, but in, for, for most of our clients, I feel like uh, Omniture is a Ferrari and, and they only need a Chevy. Um, mm. So I would say that would be one area that would be very interesting to me um, that I'm very passionate about. Um, other software? Uh, well, uh, Here's a slightly more challenging question just in relation to that. Um, what piece of software don't you use but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? 
You know, I'll tell you, I think that the um, the area that we have yet to make an investment in is in, in the area of DMPs, data management platforms. And, um, you know, the concept there is essentially being able to um, collect cookies and personal information and uh, re re restore it and, and use personal use information about your consumers across um, multiple um, channels and platforms. And, um, you know, we have been investigating that for a long time. Um, you know, I believe that um, that having um, additional information gives you a huge advantage in marketing. I call it information asymmetry. So if I know something about a user that you don't know, and I'm able to use that across multiple channels, that should give me an advantage. Um, we've looked at a lot of platforms to date, and we haven't had, had found one that just blows us away so far. Um, but um, you know, I, I feel like in the next six to twelve months, we're going to make that investment, and I'm hoping that that's something that I'll be excited about. Okay, great stuff. Well, we're moving on to... I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you were involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Oh, man, a lot of things. Um, um, number one, um, I wish I had started um, doing what you're doing right now, which is building sort of a my personal brand slash thought leadership mm. earlier on. Um, I... I sort of, uh, I, I was, you know, I was, I've been in the space since 2000. I started my own blog probably in 2005. Um, had I started it a couple years earlier, um, I think I would have had um, just a lot more, like I said, personal brand, a lot more um, ability to sort of get things done that I wanted to get done. And, um, and um, you know, I, I, I take a lot, I, I believe that thought leadership is crucial to, um, to any agency. Um, and so had I done it a couple years earlier, I think my agency would have been more successful. Um, so that's one thing that I would, I would definitely say, um, that I, I wish I, wish I had done when I started. I think probably the other thing would be, um, building more process, foundational process around how I did things. Um, in the early days of, um, online marketing, I, there was so much opportunity that it felt like stopping to actually build best practices wasn't the best use of my time. So I was kind of just flying by the seat of my pants and I was, literally working till like 11 p.m. every night just uploading keywords and 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 making bid changes and whatnot and i think if i had to do it over again i would have stopped for a minute and said let's spend some time and let's build a process and structure here so that um it's replicable to people that are are beneath me and, and now in my in my agency today i have plenty of process i mean i've learned my lesson there but you know, looking back 10 years ago i think that's something i could have done better that's great tips there. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, so moving on to... The This or That Round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions and just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So ready to go? Both. Oh, I already messed <laughs> well, up. Yeah. <laughs> no more, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Display. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. <laughs> Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? One-on-one. -on -one. Paid search or SEO? Sorry, I missed the paid search or what was the other Paid one? search or SEO? Both. <laughs> Email contact form or telephone number? Telephone number. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? 
email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global. Yay! You got through that, <laughs> all right. Huh? So why was Facebook so much for Facebook? Was that because you're just not liking Google Plus? Well, you know what they say, if... Um, if you want to hide, hide a dead body, put it on Google Plus. <laughs> <laughs> how many how you many know, dead bodies have you hidden? No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think uh, that's a question for Siri. I think Siri will answer that question. Actually, um, I just think Google itself has given up on Google Plus, and, and Google Plus is really more of a means of collecting information than it is for people to actually share information. And you know, it's I would I would expect that in the next, let's call it two to three years, Google will just completely. Um, close down Google Plus as a social network. It's, it just hasn't worked. Well, let's ho hope that Google keep Google Hangouts on air because um, I'm liking that. That's a good tool. That's one they can keep. That's a keeper. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? I would spend it on um, lookalikes derived from custom audiences on Facebook. So using my best customers, uploading them via email, and then letting Facebook find people similar to them um, uh, to, to market to. How would I measure it? I think it depends on the what, I'm, what, I, what my objective would be. Um, you know, most likely what I would try to do would be to try to get people to sign up for um, a newsletter or to download the white paper. Um, so just building a, um, a nurturing relationship with someone. And um, the metric would be, um, a CPA cost per acquisition um, based on, on one of those um, success metrics. My number one takeaway. Well, David, you've offered a, a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what would you say is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that businesses need to take away and implement things within what they're doing at the moment? Um, at a high level, I think the, the takeaway is follow your customer. And I would just break, down, break that down by saying that um, whether you're a business or a B2B or B2C company, um, people are using multiple devices and they're on multiple channels. And you need to figure out where your customers are and um, not be beholden to a specific channel or a specific device, but understand the customer journey and then um, set up your marketing to reach them where they're actually uh, visiting uh, on the internet. Great, great advice. Well, you've um, offered a, a lot of, of nuggets there, you know, so thank you, you know, and the, that takes us to the end of our discussion. So th thank you, you know, so much for everything that you, you've said there and shared with us. What's the best way for audience to find out more about you and what you do? Sure. So um, the website is 3Q Digital, the number three, the letter Q, digital.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Rodnitsky, R-O-D-N-I-T-Z-K-Y. Um, and um, feel free to reach out and love to connect with people. Wonderful. Okay. And I'll include uh, links to everything that you've mentioned there on the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. So um, thank you again, David. Thank you, David. You have a great name and a great show. <laughs> you've got an even better name. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you next time on digitalmarketingradio.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.